The International PharmaTalks podcast is powered by ELS Solutions Group. If you would like to engage directly with ELS Solutions and receive advisory from regulatory, distribution, or pipeline in international business, please visit elssolutions.com.br slash en. Welcome to the International Pharma Talks podcast. I'm your host, Diogo Souza Martins, and in this podcast, we will dive deep into the world of healthcare international business, where you will learn strategies and action plans to help you navigate through your internationalization program and achieve the best results. Welcome to episode two. After episode one comments and in response to the several requests received on how I saw the evolution of healthcare industry trends for 2020, I decided to share my own view with our podcast followers. Stay tuned over the next minutes and please continue to send along your feedbacks and suggestions. Over the years, the pharmaceutical industry's long successful strategy has been anchored in creating new molecules or reshaping old ones alone or in combination with others, promote them heavily and turn them into blockbusters. This strategy has rendered above than average results for decades. However, R&D productivity has today plummeted and both internal as external environment has changed dramatically. This change is occurring because the current pharmaceutical industry business model is both economically unsustainable and operationally incapable of acting quickly enough to produce the type of innovative treatments demanded by global markets. In order to make the most of these future growth opportunities and serve the patient at its best, I believe our industry must fundamentally change the way it operates. I'm convinced leaders will center strategies on outcomes by conveying the value of medication to providers, forging strong partnerships with payers and establishing direct patient relationships. It is anticipated that the pharmaceutical market will double to $1.5 trillion by 2023, with the seven main countries, Brazil, China, India, Indonesia, Mexico, Russia and Turkey, representing one-fifth of global pharmaceutical sales. I share with you the factors that, on my opinion, are changing or influencing the pharmaceutical market. Demand for medicines is growing more quickly in the emerging economies than the industrialized economies. Governments are beginning to focus on prevention rather than treatment, although they have not yet invested significantly. As both science knowledge and lawsuits dramatically increase, regulators are becoming more skeptic about approving truly innovative medicines. The number of people with chronic disease is increasing, placing even greater pressure on already stretched healthcare budgets. Boundaries between different forms of healthcare are blurring as clinical advances change the course of previously fatal chronic diseases and self-medication sector expands. Healthcare policymakers and payers are increasingly mandating what doctors can prescribe. Finally, a growing number of healthcare payers are measuring the pharmacoeconomic performance of different drugs. 
A widespread use of electronic medical records will give them the data they need to insist on outcome-based pricing. Taking into consideration all these factors, the increased public pressure on prices and the urgency to improve the accessibility of drugs worldwide, odds are that there will be a continuous focus, not to say pressure, to decrease drug prices. This outcome, I believe, will impact the development of drugs and specialty therapies and is likely to accelerate the release of generic and biosimilar medicines on the market. In fact, it is estimated that roughly 21% of drug sales will be reinvested in drug development activities. A material innovation that is being applied in 2020 is the application of artificial intelligence in drug development. Recent reports estimate global AI in healthcare market size to reach $31 billion by 2025, growing at a compound annual growth rate of 42% over this five-year period. Another type of technology, in my opinion, that is being increasingly exploited are competitive intelligent management systems based out of cloud technology that will fine-tune strategy execution with competitor monitoring. This will ultimately increase operational efficiency and deliver business and scientific insights across R&D, manufacturing and commercial operations. These type of systems are being built with AI capability to engage with a broad range of stakeholders. The integration of these systems along with companies' ERP and CRM systems will allow healthcare companies to have more input in a drug's fate and drive it from conception to fruition rather than just lending its algorithm and having big pharma take over the rest of the process. However, the technology not only will impact drug development, but also drug supply chain in many aspects, ranging from time to safety or even manpower. In order to preserve profitability, pharmaceutical companies are looking to the make or buy equation with a realistic approach and even big pharma will be forced to increase the use of outsourcing in an effort to drive down costs. For some companies, sales and R&D are likely to be the only functions retained in-house. M&A deals have been increasing over the past few years and it is expected these continue to grow at least at a 10% growth rate. Despite the pandemic, in my opinion, it is expected approximately 260 M&A deals only in 2020, which represents one for every working day of the year. I am convinced that this number can even increase, not always for the best reasons, immediately after the pandemic is controlled and probably before. For obvious reasons, I won't risk to predict combined values of these transactions because markets are extremely volatile. As regulatory agencies are fully working and inspectors are traveling less, they have more time to look at technical files and regulatory dossiers and registration cycles will become faster these times. 
I expect that more small research stage companies transit into potential commercial operations as their drugs reach key regulatory milestones. However, at this stage, larger companies in global scale will be the best placed to license in these pipelines opportunities. So my postulate is that these companies should stay focused in the R&D powerhouse strategy rather than diluting their focus and financials on executing commercial operations. Another practice I envision to be increasingly reinforced is the patient involvement in advisory boards and earlier drug development stages in order to get voice of the customer, product design and lifetime value early enough in the process. As all of you know, a greater focus on the patient renders valuable real-world data and insight into therapeutical performance and medication compliance. Pharmaceutical companies want to understand how patients respond to therapies and identify subpopulations of respondents, noting down all possible idiosyncrasies in order to ultimately improve health outcomes. According to the very recent studies, more than 95% of pharmaceutical companies are concerned about the pandemic effects on company performance, including supply and demand failures. One of the reasons this concern is because China and India have been major players in the pharmaceutical supply chain, essential for global drug R&D discovery and manufacturing programs. The, this outbreak has resulted in heavy stock market turbulence, strict border controls and countrywide lockdowns, leading industry and governments to rethink drug supply chains. While most of the factories still rely on China and China resumed their production lines, countries such as India restricted the exports of dozens of active pharmaceutical ingredients. UK banned the export of more than 80 drugs to protect internal supplies, and both US and EU are looking into bringing manufacturing back to their territory. So, protectionism measures are being applied everywhere to protect internal supplies for certain kinds of medical products. But exports of non-pandemic-related pharma and medical products may become a very popular strategic move for the most savvy companies. So what will be the new trends after pandemic and what will the landscape look like for pharma and healthcare companies? Well, no one will really know. In my opinion, the important question is how we will react to change. I suggest an action plan divided in five stages. Resolve, resilience, return, reimagination and reform. The duration of each stage will depend on geography and industry context and organizations may find themselves operating more than one stage simultaneously. Stage one or resolve is to address the immediate challenges and changes that this pandemic inflicted on the organization as a whole with focus in internal HR customer prospection or defection for inability to pay, technology use and business communication.
stage two or resilience to address near-term cash flow challenges and exercise a positive flow of energy and healthy mindset. Stage three or return happens when we create a detailed plan to return business to scale quickly as the pandemic situation evolves and knock-on effects become clearer. Stage four or reimagination is a call to reimagine what I call the next normal and apply the detailed action plan created in stage three with an ed educated assumption based on your reimagination work on how your whole value change of stakeholders will reshape and adapt. No matter how deviated your assumptions are from the reality you'll face, one thing is for sure you will be far better off having a reinvention plan than flying solo with no wings. Stage five or reform is to take a clear action on participating in the needed changes that will be implemented in regulatory and competitive environments and embracing those as source of competitive advantage early on. Although most of the pharmaceutical companies are worried about the impact of the pandemic in their business, this outbreak is also an opportunity for engaging in product and market development strategies. With the power of time, companies are spearheading in licensing strategies to overcome delayed internal R&D projects and exploring international markets to land their best-in-class portfolio. In a time that a pace car is placed in front of us and setting equality, one needs to find ways of diversification as a source of competitive advantage. If you enter in your international market later than your competitors, you may not benefit from the best available local choices. For instance, your ideal commercial partner to distribute your products may be already engaged with your competitor in an exclusive relationship or your strategy of developing a best-in-class regulatory dossier, introducing a high-quality precedent that may elevate entry barriers to your followers, will no longer be available since the commodity precedent was already set. It is important to acknowledge that any organization that possesses a strong product development process, but is a late mover in its internationalization program, will have less growth options in its strategic arsenal. Their corporate strategy is simply handicapped. They will become more vulnerable and excessively dependent uniquely on pipeline strategies as its growth engine. This dependency will limit the long-term growth capability of the company as it stalls its sustained competitive advantage. Be sure to play the game and follow the pace car on your race with respect, safety and parity but consider competing in other circuits with your existing or new cars. If done properly and with professional advice, you may find this could be a cash-generating avenue to your team, reinforcing brand equity, reputation, and ultimately win the championship. 
thank you for joining us on this episode of International Pharma Talks podcast. For more episodes and to subscribe, rate and leave a review, please direct to iTunes or Spotify. If you wish to develop your international program or to register or distribute your products in another market, please consult elssolutions.com.br/en.